This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Roz Taylor. Real life is messy and violent and deranged enough, but what's going to happen when we start to spend more time in the metaverse? Do we even know what on earth it will look like? With me to talk about the rules we may soon be making to govern ourselves in the metaverse is Lorna Woods, Professor of Internet Law at the University of Essex. Lorna, welcome to the bunker. Thank you for inviting me. Nick Clegg of Meta said in an essay which has just come out, he's just written it, we must create thoughtful rules and put guardrails into place as the metaverse develops to maximise its potential for good and minimise the potential harms, which of course is exactly what you would expect him to say. And he says meta will work with the private sector, lawmakers, civil society, academia, that's you of course, and the people who will use these technologies to do that. Have we started to grapple with the issues this is going to raise yet? Well, I don't think we've adequately grappled with the issues raised by uh, social media and Web 2.0. So I'm slightly sceptical whether we're in a good place to move on to Web 3.0 or the metaverse. So there's a question of the extent to which we can learn from the experience and the weaknesses and the things to look out for, rather than just saying, oh, we're bored with that, let's move on to a new one. There's a problem there in how long it'll take before we all shift over into the new metaverse. So if we focus all our attention on thinking about the metaverse, well, yes, that's good going forward, more thoughtful space, good. But does it mean that we don't address the existing problems in the existing tech? There's a view that we're already halfway into the metaverse in that we effectively use avatars to communicate on places like Twitter and Snapchat. What can our experiences on sites like that and on platforms like Zoom tell us about the kinds of rules that we'll probably have to make? I think for innovation generally, there's probably two things that product developers, designers should think about, and which I don't think have necessarily been thought about, or at least not thought about from the beginning by current services, which is what happens when this scales? What happens when we have to deal with questions of reach rather than private conversations? And the second question is, what happens when bad people get hold of this? Have we thought about how this service can be misused? rather than sitting in a haze of techno-optimism about the great benefits it'll bring. One of the distinctions that Clegg makes between social media and metaverse is that he says the metaverse will be much more about speech. Social media has predominantly been about the written word and purely visual things. What will that mean for the way that we make rules in the metaverse? I think he's right. I think at the moment we have got sites that tend to operate like archives. And so our thoughts about how problems occur 
and particularly how we monitor uh, for those problems and how we come up with solutions is looking at quite a static, even if it's fast moving, picture. If we move to the metaverse, we're talking real time, live activity. And so we won't necessarily have the archive to look at. So there's questions about how do we know when bad stuff has happened, but also our responses are going to be different. Does takedown make sense in a live streaming environment? So I think we're going to have to think a little bit more broadly about what sort of safeguards, what sort of tools you give to users to keep themselves safe, as well as some of the more familiar questions about what sorts of content and connections are you promoting? This is one of the many paradoxes that Clegg and Zuckerberg have made, really, in, when they've talked about, or not, not really acknowledged, when they've talked about life in the metaverse for me. Because Clegg, for example, says that the metaverse will be all about ephemerality. And at the same time, he also proposes recording speech for a short time in the metaverse. So for about 15, 20 minutes, if you were unhappy with what had been said to you, or perhaps something that you had said, and you wanted to correct the record, as it were, you could go back and ask for that to be changed, or to to make some difference. And if that didn't happen, the speech would be automatically deleted. It feels rife with potential problems. What does it feel like to you? Well, I'm not sure what the purpose of doing that is. I mean, especially if we are saying that this is, is, is supposed to be an ephemeral experience and in a way correcting one of the problems that we get in current social media, which is things that you say as an off-the-cuff remark that you don't expect to have any staying power, in fact, hang around forever. Uh, Against that background, the transient nature of content will will be quite good. You won't have these long shadows. But then, okay, we say, let's keep a hold of something for a short period. Why are we doing that? Are we saying we're aware that there's going to be a problem, so we need a record to complain about the user? that's done or said, whatever has been done or said. I don't understand the purpose. And we already know that Mark Zuckerberg wants to put a bubble around people effectively so that you won't be able to touch someone. You won't be able, therefore, to assault them. There won't be issues, presumably around sexuality, which could be very, very problematic. Yet there is, again, a real paradox here, isn't there? Because you can't physically harm someone in the metaverse. So what exactly is the point of putting a bubble around them? Well, I would challenge your assumption that you can't harm somebody. Um, Not physically. I mean, you can absolutely harm them, but not physically. Indeed. I think the problem the bubble is designed to address is sort of avatars, assaulting other avatars. And I think especially as haptic technology, which allows you to have a a more immersive sensory experience, becomes more available, more sophisticated, then you can have a very real physical experience, even though you're not physically there. So the bubble is perhaps preventing that happening. But I don't think it 
deals with all the problems. Because we've seen in the current social media environment that there are pylons, there are problems of abuse of images and those sorts of things that even happen without touch. So a bubble doesn't deal with those. Do you think it's possible to invade someone's privacy in the metaverse along the same lines of thinking? I would have thought there's lots of ways to uh, invade privacy, though it, it, it does depend, I think, on what you mean by privacy. On a data protection level, presumably there will be lots of data being gathered by, by service providers, which is one form of intrusion into privacy. I suppose there's questions about whether user A could use the image of user B for their avatar so that they're using somebody else's image as their own face in the metaverse, which I think could cause problems. And then I suppose there's all sorts of possibilities for, for hacking and tracking and following users about, depending on the security of the, the services. So I would have thought that's just a, a starting point for the privacy problems. Another fascinating area for me is whether we will carry our identities in the real world into the metaverse. Now, in some ways, this could be seen as liberating. When I was discussing with the author of Reality Plus for this series about how people might use the metaverse, he pointed out that someone who is disabled in real life need not be disabled in the metaverse. Similarly, someone with a particular ethnic of a particular ethnic group might not choose to be the same person in the metaverse. What kind of those imbalances and those fictionalization of ourselves, if you like, can you imagine that causing problems? I'd like to start by saying that I fully recognise the benefits, especially for, for some groups, in being able to, to some degree, reinvent or represent themselves in the metaverse. I think there are questions uh, around a single digital identity, which I think is something that, that Mark Zuckerberg has suggested is, is a thing he's hoping for. But this worries me in a way because I don't think we have offline a single persona. You know, it's, it's the standard argument of being somebody different in a work context at home with your family or out with your friends. But if we want to see this freeing capacity of the metaverse, then we don't necessarily want to see it linked back to a single digital identity or even, you know, perhaps say that you can have, I don't know, multiple avatars to, to get round this. I think there's still a question about who gets to see the background identity that all these multiple avatars link to. There's a question, and I think we, we see it with age verification and identity verification even now, is that it's a way of tracking people. If you have the responsibility of verifying them, then you're in a very responsible position. I have concerns about companies that have ad businesses or companies that provide online services having the ability to do this. 
I would think in an ideal world, we would say that identity verification or the holding of the single digital identity should be an independent entity that doesn't have skin in the game of making money out of data sales. topic of different identities. I mean, there's part of me that would love in the metaverse to be able to be in a French metaverse because I speak reasonable French and I would love to immerse myself in that. And that would be quite fun. But it is not easy to transfer your identity across different jurisdictions. And one of the things that Clegg says he wants to do is create a model, rules-based model of the metaverse that would work across these different jurisdictions. Isn't it going to be very, very difficult for him to do that, given that cultural legal norms are so very different across the world? I think it depends about the level of thickness that that interoperability has. If he's just talking about a model or protocols that each system designer bases their own little space on so that they can connect, you could have a very thin model of technical interoperability that you could use to link these spaces. I mean, that's the way the internet protocol and the web protocols work. There should be some thought I would have uh, suggested, even in that space, about what is being allowed and what is not being allowed at that technical level. If we go back to the beginning of the internet, the protocols don't really think about privacy and the tracking of users because that just wasn't in the minds of the people coming up with the protocols at that time. They were a small group. They knew each other or of each other, and they were using it for, for, for research purposes. But that then left gaps for later iterations using that same model to exploit. So I think there is a question, even if we say the metaverse is just technical protocols, as to what is being allowed and what not. There is another question with this, though, which is the one that everyone spots with web pages and the internet. And that is, how do we know which jurisdiction they're sitting in? Is French language going to be a key? You've actually gone to the French laws and norms. Or is it just somewhere in London set up by the local French society? <laughs> yeah, that sounds terrible, actually. <laughs> you know, that at all. We'll be all sitting around awkwardly drinking wine. Yes, anyway. Warm wine, no doubt. Yes. Let's talk about enforcement, because when you've got rules, you and certainly when you have laws, you need to have enforcement. And when I was working on The Guardian's comment website, one of the things that people got most angry about, vehemently objected to, was being banned or suspended without being able to appeal to a higher authority. Who's going to be the ultimate arbiter of the rules of the metaverse? Because it could be the platform. It could be some sort of council or court separate from the platform, a bit like Facebook has now, but it doesn't actually do very much. It could even be the fictional environment within the platform that someone has set up. Clegg suggests an area could have rules, but people could appeal if they don't feel those rules are fair or the right ones. There are many different ways of doing this, aren't there? There are lots, but I think when we're talking about this, it's important to distinguish between 
the terms of service that the service provider has imposed on its users, which are, are private law considerations and to a large degree set by the provider and the laws of the land in which the service is established because a service provider has a whole lot more freedom to set its own rules and to make decisions about its own terms of service in a way that it does not in relation to the law of the underlying land. So that is one question, you know, when we're talking about this, are we talking about enforcement of terms of service, the conditions on which you've gained access to this space? Or are we talking about underlying laws like no child sexual exploitation and abuse material? The question of appeals is important because this is freedom of speech we're talking about. And although human rights obligations are primarily aimed at states, with the increase in size and responsibility of these these platforms within the communication environment, we would hope that they would take into account the importance of human rights. Though it can't just be free speech or not just free speech seen as the right of the speaker to say whatever he or she likes without consequence. You've got to take into account the speech rights of everyone and, for example, the silencing effect of of bullying. And you've got to take into account other rights as well and balance the rights to safety and physical integrity and, and privacy, which we've already mentioned. And when we think about how infractions breaking the rules might be dealt with, exclusion is the obvious one, exclusion from a certain area of the metaverse or from all of it. But is that sustainable, given that people may be spending more and more of their time in the metaverse and may feel that being excluded from it is like being excluded from a shop, and for example, from all shops and completely unreasonable? Can people really as well be held to account in the physical world for what they do in the metaverse. There's a lot of unhappiness, for example, at the moment over the police pursuing people for what they might have said on Twitter. Is that going to be a sustainable thing to do, that that, that there will be this bleed over from the metaverse to the real world when it comes to, to effectively punishing people? Well, I think there's two separate questions there. The first one is about the proportionality of exclusion. And I think that is going to depend on how significant the metaverse is. I mean, if it's just a small segment of the metaverse or the the metaverse doesn't really take off and it's it's just a a, a niche hobby, then that is a whole lot less significant than if we're all working online, public services are available primarily through the metaverse distribution centres, then the platforms themselves start looking less like private companies and more like public service platforms, where it is a lot more difficult to exclude people completely. So I think that's going to be context-specific. But I would also say that even in the real world, we do, in the end, exclude some people from places and spaces 
And in the very worst case scenarios, we do lock people up. That background is important to bear in mind, but also to recognise all the safeguards and, and, and procedural safeguards that we have in place around those decisions. So we may move to a situation where we expect similar sorts of process safeguards to be in place. In terms of real-life consequences, I think we're going to see more of that. I think this idea that being on Twitter or, or TikTok or wherever is not real life or doesn't have consequences is misguided. If we are talking about the enforcement of the criminal law, there are thresholds that apply before you can bring, before the CPS will bring a case. But if we have said, you know, these safeguards, uh, these, these requirements which require us to show a mental element, an actual activity and the absence of uh, defences, then I think it is very right that people are penalised for what they say if they are engaging in image-based sexual abuse. Then, yes, they should be punished. So it's not going to be just a case of, if you like, monopoly game jail, where you would be punished within the metaverse. But in the worst cases, it's all right for people to be pursued and punished for what they do in the metaverse, outside the metaverse. Yeah. I mean, I think there are going to be questions about where we are, because we might have a sense of, broadly speaking, what the law is in this country. But if we've inadvertently stumbled into a subset of the metaverse that is somewhere else entirely, we may be somewhat taken by surprise by the application of laws. And there will be a question as to whether national laws have a sort of extraterritorial effect, that they affect people who perpetrate, but who are not based in that territory. That's a much more difficult question. What are you most worried about, finally, when it comes to law and rules in the metaverse? I think there is a big difficulty when drafting laws to be sufficiently technology neutral. I think when you're drafting you are influenced, whether you recognise it or not, by what is currently possible. And so it is very hard to define laws without those sorts of constraints limiting your drafting. And I think we see that at the moment. My own view, though it depends precisely on, on, on the form of the metaverse, But my own view is that the online safety bill could catch service providers in the metaverse, that the definition of user to use the service is broad enough. What strikes me as more difficult is this question of what safeguards we expect services to put into place are envisaged in the online safety bill. At the moment, I mentioned takedown earlier, 
at the moment, it, it, it is looking at takedown to a large extent, though it has got some some other considerations around ha- how information is is shared, how content is made. But this issue of takedown, I don't think that's future proof. In other words, the upcoming legislation is running way behind what's actually being designed and thought of at the moment. Well, not way behind, but it certainly has gaps. Lorna, fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you for having me. Remember, there's a new Bunker Daily every Wednesday, Thursday and Sunday with Start Your Week on Mondays, the main panel show on Tuesdays and the Culture Bunker on Saturdays. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. You can also support our work on the crowdfunding platform Patreon. Just see our Twitter or Facebook or search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening. See you next time. There's no going back. After this, there's no going back. You take the blue pill and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill and your entire personality becomes yelling at women on the internet. The Bunker Daily's Metaverse Week was brought to you by Ross Taylor with production from Andrew Harrison, Jacob Jarvis, Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofronievich, Alina Ganatra, and me, Alex Reese. Original music by Jade Bailey. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. 